Rugby Coach Weekly Podcasts presents Coaching Laid Bare with Lisa Bird Burgess and LJ Lewis. Hello and welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly, um, our podcast, Coaching Laid Bare. And this week, LJ and I are delighted to welcome Rachel Taylor, ex-Welsh captain and currently Regional Academy Skills Coach for WIU in RGC North. Hey Tails, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you very much for having me on. It's very exciting. Um, Yeah, just a a little bit of an introduction, I suppose. So I guess I took the Skills Coach uh, role up in RGC, which is great. Obviously, I'm a... Uh, a super gog and a, and a very proud North Walesian, so it was really cool for me to uh, to be back up in North Wales doing that role. And um, I guess I've probably tried to to I don't know how to best say it, just get as much experience in coaching as I as I physically can since I've retired from from playing rugby. So um, I coach a men's team in Division Two North. Uh, I was lucky enough to work as particip- rugby participation officer before this, so. Uh, obviously working in the, the women's and girls game, uh, a, bit, a little bit of inclusive rugby and now obviously this this experience at a sort of an academy level. So yeah, trying to do a bit of everything and uh, be as much of a sponge as I physically can. Wow. That's, uh, well, we're really delighted to have you on and just really looking forward to exploring a bit of um, your coaching journey and um, any kind of little golden nuggets you can give some of the coaches that will be listening to this. Um, so thank you very much for joining us, Tails, and we really look forward to your contribution. Um, Elge, how are you doing? How's, how's family hey, life? Yeah, good, thank you. We've been uh, busy as ever with a two and a half year old keeping us on our toes. And um, yeah, we're trying to stay active still and obviously uh from my point of view with with my coaching role and my coach's hat on we staying engaged with our players still via zoom so life on zoom is pretty active um but yeah no we're good the weather's obviously turned a bit which is make things a bit more challenging um but getting out on the bike myself on my own which has been a like a luxury um and other than that just the normal the normal really for the last few months so yeah how about you bird what have you been up to oh well bloody hell Elch. excuse me for swearing there but um we might need to edit that but <laughs> today yeah i've been on a bit of a bike ride and encountered a herd of welsh blacks <laughs> which wasn't which wasn't my favorite memory it's fair to say i cycled down the hill much more quickly than i went up it but um yeah other than that just trying to stay sane really um in this climate that we're in at the moment and um so yeah, just really looking forward to catching up with you both tonight. And um, LJ, you're gonna you're gonna hit us off tonight with some yep. of the questions. And just to say to everyone that's listening, um, if you feel like you've got any questions you want to um, send in, please feel free to contact you know Rugby Coach Weekly, and um, we can hopefully answer those questions for you in this podcast. So LJ, over to you. Okay, so first question for us to kind of think about is, how do you motivate players to come back to training? So. Um, Tails, do you want to have some thoughts on that first? Is there anything you would recommend? Yeah, I guess I think it's a really interesting time. Like, you know, when you, you think about what kind of will motivate people to get back into particularly like a community rugby environment. And I suppose there's a lot of interest this weekend and obviously the, the rugby kicking off down in New Zealand. And I've just, 
I don't know, probably over the last couple of days, thought there was like a real hunger and a real appetite for people to watch it, watch the highlights, just, I don't know, immerse themselves in rugby again. So I'm kind of hoping that when, you know, we're back to, to being able to train, um, you know, in small groups here in Wales or, you know, the dream scenario of getting back to team training and playing, you'd like to think that everyone will come back from that very motivated because you know it's been restricted or it's been taken away from people to do so i guess it's a really interesting time to see how people respond respond to the lift of the the regulations yeah definitely and uh and bird anything anything yeah. particular that you might think about yeah i mean it's especially very, after covid yeah exactly i mean it's very different times at the moment obviously and it's going to be really interesting to see that i think tails has hit hit the nail on the head there by you know hopefully people are kind of bursting i know we as coaches are desperate to get back to get that contact with the players and you know um get everybody working again um but you know you know prior to covid it was like it's a, it's, it's a really mixed thing because some some people don't see their players you know may see them once a week or twice a week so, you know, it's, it's really kind of in that club, how do you motivate those players that you may only see once a week to come back, um, you know, and give them that kind of sense of belonging to the club. Um, I think a big thing for me is is being able for them to leave a session actually having learned something. I think if you learn something as a player, you grow and develop. And, and also um, give them that sense of belonging. So you find out about them as a person. So it's not just the rugby skills. And I know it's difficult sometimes to do that, but... Um, you know, it is important to give them that sense of belonging because it is a club they're joining. So, um, you know, interested in them and finding out what they want to develop and grow as well. Um, you know, speaking from a kind of semi-pro level where we're kind of working at with the girls, you know, I know at Gloucester Hartbury, we, we do something called um, individual development plans where you focus on developing that player's skills so they can kind of grow and develop themselves. Um, but again, in a club environment where you may be seeing a person once or twice a week, it's like how you engage them and really motivate them to come back. And that's, that's where you've got to get the players to buy into it as well, to get, you know, get them involved. I don't know. What do you, what do yeah, you I think? I, um, I think, so obviously everyone's had so much time recently to do all the reflecting and go and learn and find out what everyone else is doing. And I suppose you get to a point where you're like, actually, I need to start doing it myself. Um, and I think on touching on that point, Bird, about if you've got limited time with your players and you want to find out about each individual, um, an exercise I used to run when I worked with the junior academy at Hartbury was I'd do speed dating. So obviously I've got a big group of players who their common interest is rugby, but they're at college doing different things. So we do a speed date in their two minutes. They'd have a list of things they could ask each other um, and they'd go around everybody. And you, that could be a really outside the box way of speed, like starting off your kind of new, new revived energy to rugby, uh, find out where everyone's at, what they want to achieve. And then like you say, Bird, from that, you can maybe start identifying individual needs and then what the content of your rugby looks like, because ultimately those sessions are what are going to drive people to come back week, week on week. Um, I also thought about other like off-field things that might help people come back because let's say someone's working, as we all have experience with our own rugby from either playing or coaching, you know, if you're working, then you've got to come and, and put your energy into an evening session. So maybe doing stuff like a monthly like team dinner um, and it doesn't have to be something that the club provides. Obviously, money will be a, um, a factor in that. But it could be just one way of 
you know every single week you're going to train hard for like say 60 minutes maybe you cut your training down but then you get that time off the field and that's a really good way of kind of making sure people feel valued as well yeah um just something different to just the rugby yeah kind of like um you you made a good point there birdie like with with people being like affiliated to a club and having that sense of value and that sense of purpose at the club like I think it'll be really interesting you know post COVID on how people work on that because mm-hmm. you know a lot of the restrictions at the moment are saying like your clubhouse has to stay closed like for for a lot of the clubs especially like with Colman Bay it's a very social club like that yeah. that aspect of spending time together after training uh, after a game is really important and I think it's a bit of a combination of, of what you said as well, LJ. Maybe like if you are only able to train in smaller groups, are they almost like little buddy up groups? So they could, you know, like that opportunity to get to know those players better. Because um, if you lose that club element, like, you know, you, you want to try and find ways of replicating it on on pitch. When, you know, if you're training and you're leaving and it's it's that kind of turnover that we might have to get used to for a while how we build that bond, I suppose, in the small groups that then could yeah. add an input to how that season develops. Yeah, I, I think that's really good. And it just extend, like we're doing now, we're on Zoom for those those people obviously yeah. just listening to the pod. I mean, um, these Zoom podcasts have been, well, pod, not podcasts, but Zoom meetings have been brilliant in um, just getting people together. And, you know, possibly that's a way forward post-COVID. Um, like you said, in those little groups, I know we've been doing that, Gloucester Hartbury. I know, I know you've been doing it at Wasps Elge as well. I'm not sure, Tails, have you been doing that with your players up in um, North as well? Uh, we're not in a in a in that stage yet. So restrictions wise, we're um, it's only training either yourself with someone from the same household as you. Or, no, what? Um, sorry, what I mean is on the on the Zoom meetings. Have you like managed your players to get together? Yeah, on I think um, I think there's been a that's been like a really interesting side of like the game development that we that I'll admit like it's never been part of our usual uh, life or regime or routine or whatever you want to call it but um like I found it really interesting to see that connection and the I suppose like the interaction you can have with players away from training Mm. so the zoom stuff has been great to see like people's reactions with each other um has been brilliant I think we do a lot, uh, especially like with the with the age group stuff um, at RGC around like their WhatsApp and um, having like a shared Google Drive with like a really like holistic like catalog of things that they can dip into. So it might be finding out about how to get a better sleep, or it might be watching Scrum Master drills. Like it's just like a just a like a almost like just this whole catalog of different things that they can go in and look in and but like one thing i found really interesting is like do you like how much we're feeding people in a little bit like you're saying lj you know you can only be receptive to stuff for so long and i think yeah like that's something that i think would be really worth looking into as we come out like the value of these times and these blocks like how you can develop people away from rugby without bombarding them a little bit Mm. yeah we we definitely are like from a club point of view conscious of that as well so we've we've religiously been on zoom since this lockdown but also you know not made it compulsory if you've got something else going on in your life that's fine but we've we've tended to have 20 plus on every call we've had and we've been up to three calls a week um however i think i agree with you there does come a saturation point so 
other outlets like whatsapp's a really easy way isn't it um little videos i've i've obviously i work with the forwards particularly at was so i've been looking at other things that they can work on as in like a one percenter so i'm looking at their movement ability and how that then may transfer into actual rugby things that they need to do for their job so like okay we can only train in like up to groups of six eventually but that kind of thing they can all do whether they're on the zoom together or separately but it might be something in the past i wouldn't have had the time to spend with those players on so just as a coach myself i've been looking at other ways of making them better rugby players without it being rugby as well just to try and not saturate them yeah yeah um, I think- that's a really good point and like um one of the things as well that's come off really good in this is uh, especially for the mental well-being as well is yoga and increasing their flexibility because well certainly me i'm not flexible at all i never was as a player really but i mean the more flexible you are the the more adept you can become at different skills and and you know yoga especially um and that kind of release of calming people down a lot of people have bought into that and that's been quite interesting as well to to see the girls all kind of you know watching watching them one of one of the players leading those sessions that's been really really useful i think like i think overall like the whole that like goes back into how you keep people motivated for the whole season because so much is unknown like what will the season even look like how long will the season go on for you know like it I do think having those sort of you know we would do it in a regular season wouldn't we we'd give allocated blocks of downtime and off time so I think like it's it's still important that we are aware of that that importance for the players to have time away from everything um because yeah I guess we don't you don't really know how it's going to pan out or for how long it will pan out. And obviously you want them to be motivated throughout the whole season, not, not just the start. Yeah. I think also it's recognising that um, your players <clears throat> might go in like waves of how they feel. So it might be that some of them are, <clears throat> are so motivated right now because they should have been playing. They've still kind of got that energy for, that they would have for the season. But if you aren't careful, you might get to August and they're like... I feel like I'm done so like you say you have got to really keep your eye on that um no matter what format you're using whether it's a zoom or you are doing some eventually on field stuff um so being creative with your off field ideas is a really good way um obviously while we've got good weather and lighter nights you've got more opportunity to to do that you know whether it's the the dinner idea but it's a picnic after training or whatever or you know you do um some well-being mindfulness stuff you can still do that outside you know if you can't get into your clubhouse um i think that would be a really good way to help your players like you said bird the yoga element uh but i think the meditation element to that and people might freak out when they hear meditation it's a bit pink and fluffy but it's basically mindfulness (laughs) you know that's basically what it is is it's in different forms but ultimately that's a really good way to manage manage your feelings and manage um difficulties that obviously everybody is 100% going through right now so yeah yeah and teaching people to take time for themselves as well I mean this is COVID has kind of done that more than anything because I know it's difficult for some people with young families obviously but I think people have discovered more about themselves as well during this time them themselves as a person and their kind of levels of resilience and I know myself I've had a lot of self-reflection um, so it's it's kind of been really interesting actually to find out about you as, as a person as well because you think you know yourself and you get to something like this and then you have to rethink 
um yeah. and it's um it's been really interesting so yeah I, I think it's going to be a challenge definitely post-covid and i think it's just important that you know coaches and teams and clubs have all the support they can get and um you know to, to rebuild their teams and get those players back but yeah it's going to be interesting times it certainly is um so kind of moving on i suppose um to to our next question and this was a question kind of um just, just really thinking about the squads we got and um, and how you develop squads over time, and and you know I suppose posing the question or debate, you know, do you want a squad full of players that have got a great work ethic, or do you, do you want a squad of really skillful players? And kind of what's what's the benefit? How do we get to one or the other? Um, you know, and, and and what what kind of would you like as you from your squads? And I, I'm going to pose this to um, Tails first of all. So kind of talking about worth ethic, worth ethic, worth ethic and skill. What kind of which one did you want? Yeah, I think um, for me personally, like, and it and it probably comes down to a lot, a little bit about like, like you were just saying, but self reflection and how I was a, as a player and what I valued as a player and, um, like I was never the most skillful player by a long shot, but I would work one hundred percent till I could get it as close as I could to being right for um for the coaches that that I had, and I think for me I'd, I always do try and put a value on work ethic so even at training um highlight the you know people who are working ridiculously hard and that might have absolutely nothing to do with that moment of play but it might be somebody who's working really hard to cover backfield if we got turned over but we didn't but they've just ran you know an extra 40 meters when they didn't need to something like that like highlight those and I think it's hard over, it's hard to do it instantaneously like that just doesn't come like it's you've got to keep doing it and you've got to keep rewarding it and I suppose like the best moments you get is when other players realize how hard other people are working so it, then it becomes player-led and it, like, you get that environment and that culture going within the team um you know like we we all love watching an absolute worldy try or a moment of just pure skill which is which is fantastic and obviously they're going to be rewarded as well but I think from a team perspective you want you want a balance of it yes yeah. but probably where I am as a coach I think I probably personal preference is that work ethic because I think if you've got that um you know you can you can work on a lot of the rest 100% and how do you Elch, how do you develop work ethic amongst players you know how do you kind of stress that and by the way Tails as one of your coaches you did have a great work ethic I can't I can't you were skillful as well yeah. so don't ever doubt yourself amazing oh yeah uh, I'd back that up but definitely work ethic without a doubt tails but you were skillful as well so um but from my point of view and I suppose in my coaching journey um well I'll answer your question in a second bird but just I think both can be successful but they both come with their separate challenges and I suppose naturally for me a worth work ethic team might be slightly easier because of the kind of person I am my values however a more skillful team will potentially for someone like myself because of my own experiences may take me longer to make them a team because I've got to find a way of putting those individuals mm. who have got all this skill like you've said those they may show you moments of brilliance but then they go off on their own and um, you know that doesn't work well in a team sport so you've got to find a way to make them connect um, I suppose how do you work with a work ethic type team um, you've got to make a game plan that allows for that to be their thing. Um, whether it's actually, you're probably better, potentially better off without the ball if they're really hard working, they are prepared to put their body on the line. Um, maybe you're a, more of a defensive team than, the, than 
a born in hand team, which some people might be like, oh, but you know, that, that potentially is where you would go with your game plan or what you might want to do is while um, you might want to think, right, okay, they're really hardworking, but what one thing, if I can work on one thing consistently will actually make them even more skillful that will complement their work ethic. Um, so it might be that, you know, they're not, their handling ability is not great under pressure. So they can put loads of pressure on people. They turn over a ball and then they can't do anything with it. So if I focus really hard on that whilst trying to use their work ethic, um, then I'll start seeing a little bit more of that skillful element as well as their work ethic. But um, yeah, so if, if you were to work bird with a more skillful team, what might you, how might you, how might you make them yeah. less individual? I think, I think it's a combination of what you've both said, really. I think, you know, if you've got really skillful players, it's that balance of, um, you know, getting them to join together to work as a team. And just because, you know, you're a skillful player, sometimes I find, certainly in my experience, and come in, either of you here, but when you've got a really skillful player, they're kind of, you know, sometimes they can be quite, you know, individual in that they find it really hard to gel as, in, in, as part of the team because they like to do their own thing quite a lot. So I think it's um, getting to understand them and getting to understand the effect they can have because they can either be somebody that's like, you know, really outstanding and win games for you. But then at the same time, if they do something and then they can actually lose a game as well for you. So it's like getting that fine balance. So, um, so I think with working with really skillful players, I think it's looking carefully at the structure of your training and, and really working hard in that culture, trying to bring it all together to look at their strengths and, um, you know, work together as to what we're trying to achieve as a team. But um, I don't know, Tails, I don't know if you've got anything else to add to that. I just think it's like, it's one of those moments, isn't it? Like if you do have, if you're, if you're a luxury uh, coach that has a couple of absolute, you know, worldy players in there who are very skillful, but don't have that work ethic. Like, I'd love it to get to a point where that's cultivated from the team to get yeah. that player to want to do it rather than like the coaching staff or um, like management side of things and force and stuff. I think like, a lot of so you know like like we were saying like, i've been on so many different webinars and stuff recently and um one one thing i, I found really interesting was like peer-led appraisals and stuff within teams so rather than coach saying like what do you think you know your your work on to be or whatever or that kind of feedback or feed forward it would be like players relating that and i think if you got a team where you did have a couple of players who were let's say they're not, you know, their, their skill set was, was greater than the other players, but they perhaps didn't have that team cohesion or that work ethic. I think that message coming from other team members and then being aware of it is huge. Mm. Um, I think the challenge of that is obviously being, as, being in a position as a team where you could all sit down and have those really yeah. open and honest conversations. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's like... yeah. I was going to say how to get to, wouldn't it? Like, yeah, but, what a power, what a powerful culture and team you will have if you're able to do that. That would be really great. We um, just touching on that point in this period, um, the players have been tasked with going to their peers to ask them about their own IDP. So um, similar to well, it's the same as the individual development plans that you were mentioning, but getting that information from their peers and like you say, how powerful would that be if? if individuals that need to hear it from someone else get told like your skills are amazing but i really wish you'd get off the floor quicker yeah <laughs> or i yeah. really wish you'd keep up with the line speed and defense you know what i mean like that would be really powerful um 
so yeah I, I think, think that is really important I, I, I think that's a really poignant sorry tales have just come in there but just just to quickly just to say you know peer getting getting the players at the end of the day they're the ones on the pitch you know we can advise as coaches but that team spirit that ethos from them as players it has to come from them at the end of the day because they're the ones that have to make those decisions on the pitch so I think they're really poignant both points you've made there um sorry tales what were you going to say no I was just going to say I could like like relating it back to to this common bay like senior men we you know like a bit like what you were saying lj when that work ethics there and they're so dogged in defense but that's kind of that's like their trademark like that's what they hang their hat on like a, a little bit like what you were saying how you would like coach out of that or not coach out of that but that like i we class it as like that's now a non-negotiable so like we know yeah. we're good at that and we're really good at that mm-hmm. and we're going to keep being really good at that because that's our that's what people think of us when they you know when they relate to us but you know like what's lacking and and we had um a bit of like a a, like a working session and handling and and catch pass like just the basics was something they brought out and it it helped us plan those training sessions because we could drip feed in that constant almost like uh skill development area of catch pass because they'd highlighted it so suddenly it becomes a lot easier for you to get it into training sessions for it to be accepted whereas that's something that they're always good at Mm. you praise that and you go yeah we are amazing at that we're going to keep being amazing at that so you're not trying to get people out of something that they're good at so I suppose if you flip it and you've got someone who's really skillful do it that way so yes you're you are the best person doing a crossfield kick and we're going to make you the best person in the world at doing a crossfield kick but you've got to get but we've all agreed you've got to get up off the floor quicker yeah yeah almost like that kind of like okay yeah fine so like i don't know you want to keep rewarding them of being really what they're really good at you keep telling them they're really good at Mm. and and talking about that um with juniors so again when i mentioned about the girl the girls academy doing the speed dating so and you you're just referring to some of your juniors to their tails you know if if they've been the big fish the whole time and they've been able to do what they want because they can carry hard and everyone else around them smaller or they've got a really great kick and no one knows what to do when someone kicks and you've got a speedy winger. Um, so what I found when I was trying to help the juniors understand like your super, your super strength is brilliant, but how can we make your super strengths fit with everyone else and make sure you also appreciate people around you? And it was through like things like that speed dating conversations like so many conversations and obviously Virgie when you worked with me you saw some of that as well um and also encouraging them and teaching them how to talk with each other how do you communicate with each other which will then allow that those brave conversations around come on mate (laughs) I really wish you'd just work a bit harder for me you know um and that's that's kind of where I went with the juniors and then I suppose more working more with seniors now I've had all that experience how to get people to talk and I I suppose I'm as a coach braver in how I approach it with athletes which hopefully yeah we get a result a bit quicker athletes might say it otherwise (laughs) Uh, that's great there's some really really good points there I don't know if anybody wants to add anything to that or how should we push on to the next question yeah um so how do you prioritize prior, prioritize training sessions to get the most gains out of the individual and and your team yeah so Bert, um, what do you think 
or Tails. Tails is going. Let's go. There was there was a pause there, and I was, was like, oh. <laughs> she's constantly need Tails. to fill the silence. <laughs> Put my teeth back in. You go, Tails. <laughs> no, um, that's. I think that's like a really important question because um, loads of coaches are at different levels, and the contact time that you get with players is totally different. Yeah. Um, it was one that really changed for me last season because we we did a lot of talk with the the reason. Uh, numbers were dropping at the club, uh, people weren't coming training, uh, availability for games and what have you was, was sort of dwindling and we wanted to know why and it was like kind of, oh, training's long, it's, don't really know what we're doing and I was like, right, well, what, what's, the, what's the simple fix? And a lot of it was like player conversations and it was basically like we want one night training a week. So for, for Colin Bay now, they've cut it down, we, we cut it down last year to one night training. Um, which, you know, if you're, if you're a coach and you want to try and implement something one night, you know, for a couple of hours, yeah. it's really, really, really difficult yeah, to difficult. do. And I think, mm. I think a lot of coaches all relate to that. So like from community club coaches, you know, age grade coaches, um, mm. that contact time that you have with people is, can be very, very limited. Um, mm. So I guess like my, my priorities will always change to who I'm coaching so if it's someone I see three times a week you know age grade amazing that's totally different to what I would do if I was at Colin Bay and I only see them once a week um yeah. so you know like that, that variation I think is is something that is quite relevant for a lot of coaches yeah and if if you're only seeing your players let's say once a week and we've already discussed it a little bit and touched on it some of that non-negotiable stuff so like you say if you're a real aggressive defensive team um that's non-negotiable that's always going to happen you still need to touch on it but actually you need to also have time in your session for maybe reactive work which might be because you're in the season game to game or pre-season you need to have time to work on maybe a skill that like you'd already highlighted uh, tales that you as a team have decided we'd really like to be much better at putting the ball in space okay so how can we do that and then so that would then form the rest of your training um, and you can do that in a two-hour session, um, as long as, like you've said, you've already got it clear. So non-negotiables are sorted. And then what's that that added extra? Like this? Yeah, no, I, I think as well. I think you know, going back to your question, how do you prioritise training sessions to get most gains? I think um, I think the point tails made as well about not being afraid to look back. You know, if things aren't working as a club, you know, you're not getting those players, you know, we're talking grassroots level, you know, the players aren't turning up, you know, it's getting those conversations with them, you know, what's affecting them, what's making them not turn up. And I think it's a brave decision when, you know, some clubs will have to go to one night a week because, you know, people might be working shifts, it might be that's all they can do. And it's how you get the most, you know, what your question is asking, how can you really make sure? And again, it's looking at what the season looks like, what do you want to achieve from the season as a coaching team, as a group of players, you know, how much time you spend on skill development as opposed to team development. And it's really carefully looking and planning out your season, um, allowing that time to build the players, you know, individual skills as well as working as a team. So I think it's really important not to be afraid to strip things back as well at the end of the season and get different people's opinions so that, you know, certainly at club level, it works and it works for you as a club and you as in, and your players, because that's the only way you're going to get them back and coming. I mean, it's a different story when you're working with elite squads because we're in a very different um, position there, you know. But again, you know, getting the most <clears throat> gains out of those, it's, it's really important to structure those training sessions and as coaches all buy in and agree to them with the players. 
tales with them you were just saying that you cut it down to one night a week and stuff like that so how did you get to that point did you have like a you know a, a team meeting or like how did you how did you get there yeah so um when I suppose I was trying to I guess when I started coaching I was trying to compare it to like the elite end or or like a, as close to professional as as I'd been as a player um and knowing it from that kind of regional academy environment of saying like right well if we're training three nights a week you know you've got three gym sessions you've got two speed sketches two speed sessions um this is our attack night this is our defense night this is our transition night um we're going to do a little bit of everything and it was all tactical periodization it was all trying to get as much out of that player across the week across the month across the block this is all regional block and like that's amazing and like having that kind of contact time and that planning was was brilliant and then you you flip that to a community game where you get eight people come training on a Tuesday night and and 10 people come training on a Thursday night but four of them aren't available for the game on Saturday and it's a totally different world yeah. um and and it's just not what I, I suppose what I wanted to get out of it wasn't working in that sense because it would be too it was too wishy-washy because it because there wasn't the contact time there wasn't um it wasn't like the the load wasn't representative to the week because we'd try and do something on Tuesday that would be like heavier contact but then the people who would be there on Saturday missed Tuesday so that then couldn't be the way we wanted to play you know if we're looking at two-person hold-up tackle and we wanted to do that on Saturday I'd end up having to do that a little bit on Thursday and a little bit on Saturday before the game <laughs> it was just like this is just not <laughs> yeah and, and and I think like I love the idea of um like constraint constraints led approach to to little games I love the idea of tactical periodization I love um all the variations you can put on that kind of training session um and I guess I suppose where I'm trying to refine it now is how I get all that content can I jam it down to a night session what have I got to, like almost what have I got to filter out that is my non-negotiables and I know we're already good at it what can I add in to make us better than we were yeah um but equally like um I'm a bit of a a nerd uh, might come as a shock to you birdie but uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I call it well prepared that's what I say no I think I, I tried like I wanted to try and get everything like out in the season of, of you know what was the end goal and I was going to work everything back and that was like the whole season like what was the end work everything back week by week session by session rotate these things that the guys had said so like um you know we we, we looked at those core skills and I said catch pass was one of them and that was the one they highlighted and yeah. that's something that was going to always going to have a little bit of each session each night so a little bit of time would be allocated to catch pass we then put in a little bit of maybe like skill development in and might be, I don't know, um, around the contact area. So say it's attacking catch pass and it's attacking contact area. Um, and then each week on rotate on each week on month, uh, month rotation, sorry, we try and get like a position specific skill night in. So we try and keep that cohesion of the team and the way we want to play as a team and um, <coughs> drip feeds skill development into like you were saying bird attack defense team plays so like you try yeah. and get all that in a night 
but then you'd also try and like put a bit of an arm round or or a bit of a comfort blanket to some individual positions so it might be that you work with a second rows one week and that could all be a little bit about i don't know footwork or, or body position in the scrum um, and then maybe you'd give like the next week just to scrum halves and we just look at box kicking so i think it's difficult in the community game because you, you want people you'd love for people to go away and give that whole thursday night and they take themselves down the club and they practice but but you know that unfortunately that's not real life for a lot of people they've families <laughs> jobs external commitments and you, you also you know you you hope that I don't know, I like to think that they go off and they do their gym sessions and they do their runs away from us. So when they come come to the club, it's, it can be much more about rugby. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I know like everyone will use a, a chunk of pre-seasons to try and get fitter. That's, you know, that's, everyone tries to do that. But um, I just think that's, that's how we try to do it as, as basic as we could last year with one session a week, trying to develop the whole team, but also giving that little extra to those groups every now and then i think it's important especially in the community game where i guess a lot of people might just you know go to train you know it's, it's a social thing isn't it like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a really difficult entails and you've made some great points there and you know if any coaches are listening you've you've given them some really good ideas and i think um you know it's got to be that buy-in because like you said if you're if you're a you know a player that wants to turn up you know you've got two hours of training you want to you know lots of the players just want to play they want to play games don't they it's not about them improving their skill level they just want to turn up you know play practice their team play go home job done and it's, it's how you kind of develop them um you know to, to become better players and understand a bit more and that comes with time and buy-in and i think those sessions you're saying like you know concentrating on you know back five second rows you know uh, front row body profiling etc that's invaluable and you get buy-in from one or two players and then the kind of bug starts to grow and that's you know that's what you can do prior to or after sessions and it's got to be the buy-in from those players with that culture so, yeah. But also by doing, see, also, um, to come in. yeah, by uh, also by doing that, and I really like that idea of when you've got such limited time, giving the individual the time. Um, I I really believe that actually working on their positional specific stuff is really important as well. Uh, I'm totally like I absolutely love that. However. They also, if you're only seeing them once a week and they know once a month they're going to get, like you say, their arm around them, they'll remember how they feel. And for you getting players coming back week after week, that will be why. It because you made them feel important, special. They may have had a really bad day, but you were the only person that actually spoke to them directly. You know, how they feel, especially, like you're saying, at the, the club, club end of the game will be really big. And that's a great way of doing it. Yeah. I mean, it takes me back to teaching as well, you know, that's a great point else because, you know, people come back because they want to feel valued. They, you know, some people turn up because they want to play, they just want to play rugby. Do you know what? They just want to play and they want to go. But other people, they do want to feel valued and part of it. So it's really important to kind of, as coaches as well, to get around, get to talk, get to know your players. You know, I don't think we can stress that enough, you know, because some players, it isn't just about rugby. It's about that belonging to a club. And post-COVID, that is going to look a lot different. So, you know, things like we're doing now, et cetera, are really important, I think, to keep those um, players on board. Um, Tails, did you want to finish off with anything? or kind of? um, Only, like, probably just about how, how my, like, my opinions have changed a little bit in, in lockdown and, and through loads of uh, webinars and, and reading and or reading it a chapter at a time, as I mentioned. Really yes. Um, 
same. I'm the same. I struggle, I struggle with it sometimes. Um, just that, like, I always love the idea of uh, trying to play or trying to encourage play, I should say, from like from turnovers. Uh, so we work on our like broken play, open play, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, it, and what I found really interesting, like during lockdown, is is how much of our games are actually like that. So we don't have our, um, we don't have like every game filmed. It's not coded. It's, it's you know, it, it's not like that. Um, but it would be fascinating to know how much of our game is from set piece and how much of our game is like attacking us, let's say from, from set piece and attack from open play. Like I would love to know that because I think where I'll probably try and make those little one percenters next season yeah is to try and make my my whole session a bit more relevant to that time so let's say it's 60 percent attack comes from set piece and 40 yeah. percent is from open play i'll try and equate that to the time i give to it in training sessions because okay. i'm a i'm a bit of a kind of let's ua let's play let's express ourselves mm. but ultimately if if we need to start focusing more on set piece and scrum then we need to go back to set piece and scrum um yeah. And it's and it's finding that balance or, or making it I suppose not balance, I suppose make it relevant to the time that we give in training because that's what's actually gonna happen in the game. That's that's a really interesting really interesting point there, Tails, and it goes back to those kind of match statistics, doesn't it? You know, in the games, World Rugby's got lots of those. And um, you know, they're very interesting, you know, how many tries do we score off, you know, set piece and it, it is really relevant and do we spend enough time on it or do we spend too much time on it, you know, so I think that's really important. Elge, you've got, go on, I can see you. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think as I've developed in my own coaching journey and the, especially in the women's game, we've become more resourced at the top end. You know, we do have the luxury of, of the things that you've just mentioned with the coding, the analysis, and uh, we spend a lot of time looking at how much time did we actually have the ball in hand? And when we had the ball in hand, what did we do with it? Because, the kind of team we are, we we're a, we want to be an exciting attacking team. We've got this great attacking play, but if we never had the ball in hand, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So we definitely, as a in, in my own environment right now, we've had that kind of evolution, if you like, of this is where we were, this is where we want to get to. How much of our time do we spend on phase one and two? Um, what whether it's scrum or line out, some of that will be dictated by the kind of team we're going to be playing as well. Um, but we're in the real fortunate scenario that, you know, we have that information that we can go and back yeah. and look at um, from our footage. We have at least two sessions a week with the majority of the squad, if not a bit more, depending on the, the scenario of the players. So um, I, as a coach myself, I'm enjoying that scenario that you've just said, Tails, and I definitely believe that I'm going to go way more that way too which is why at the moment I've been focusing on that one percenter with the, the forwards particularly and getting them to understand that the better they are as a mover, that will relate to their set piece, their gain line ability, um, and then also their own X factor, whatever that is as, as a player. And then also finally their longevity, which a sport like rugby is obviously massive. And I, I know you guys will totally appreciate that having yeah. been pretty, uh, pretty uh, physical players yourself so that's that's definitely where I've gone as well Tails and I like that even though you don't have that luxury yet at your club you can still try and think about it and make it purposeful for your players so that's really great 
Mm. I think that's like something lo- lockdown will probably give like loads of coaches. Like, yeah, like we're all sort of like chomping at the bit to get back. But a bit like you were saying about like just that self-reflection bit, like if mm. you look back honestly over your coaching sessions, like what, what time am I giving to this? What time am I giving to that? And is it, is it even relative to how we, yeah. how we play and how we want to play or, or how our games are, you know, refereed to a certain point as well. Like, you know, if, yeah. if you're trying to do something that's just, just not going to fit, you know, is it, is it worth doing? And that's where you get that right. Really, I don't know, interesting balance as a coach. You get to look back now and go like, am I going to try and make players for now? Am I going to try and make players for five years from now? Yeah. Um, you know, like where, you know, if you're a transitional coach, that's great. If you're a high performance coach and you've got to get wins, then your focus is all about winning. Mm. Um, so I just think it's like, it's like lockdown is a, is a great time just because we've got time to, uh, we never normally have, um, to like sit back and reflect and go like, actually, how much of that session did I actually give to what I said I was going to give? Yeah. Oh, so some great points there, some really good points. And just touching on that as well, just, you know, to say for, you know, like your club coaches as well is, um, you know, we've got, we've got the luxury of this software that we use certainly to analyze our games, you know, but just, just a video on a stand, even with, you know, um, like phones, we're talking about that iPads, you know, just recording things at training and the games themselves for the players to look back. You don't need to have all the high tech. There's enough software you can download for iPads, you know, which club coaches can use. Um, you know, and I think they're vitally important and maybe that's something we can touch on again in our next chat, but yeah, some really good points there. So, um, Tails, I'm going to direct this next question to you now, because, um, the question I'm going to ask you now is, um, does storytelling have a place in coaching? Cause I, I know you, and I knew you're a big fan of this and I just wanted to, um, we were on a, we were on a web together the other week and, um, yeah, just, um, get your thoughts on this really. And I know LJ, you have some thoughts on this as well. So does storytelling have a place in coaching? I think 100% yes. Um, again, though, like if I flip it, it, probably a lot of that is my personal preference and my own values and what, what gets me, uh, my emotional buy-in um, into, into something. A lot of that, I think, can be encouraged through storytelling. Um, I, was, I was really lucky to listen to um, a woman called Claire Murphy who, who spoke around telling stories and the passion behind it and why it can help us learn and relate to it because of um, the release of chemicals and once we get that and we have this emotional connection to a story and I just think in rugby now I think there's a real um, I don't know I was going to say like it's quite trend like in I was gonna say trendy but that makes me sound about 45 but you know what I mean um <laughs> I got it's quite <laughs> it's quite trendy to have like a theme um yeah. around something and I think sto- you know storytelling has a massive part of that theme yeah theme in you know whether that be your season um I think those themes help people get that buy-in they help to get an understanding I think there's a massive space around like what language you use just, to, just to expand tells a bit more on what you mean by a theme for maybe players that, you know, coaches listening that wouldn't necessarily buy into that or get, understand that. Um, I think if I try and think of one off the top of my head. So if um, people try and... We, like, have, even... we have a theme, if you want to know. Do you want to... Yeah. I won't tell you what our theme is. Well, we have a... We, we just... We were. <laughs> okay. 
I'll tell you. Giselle might might shoot me, but we have um our theme at the moment is around um so to start with, so she'll always have hashtags for our season and Bird, I know you've worked with Giselle lots and you know this. Yeah. So last season it was Turn Your Magic On or the season we've just gone. So we did a lot of stuff around Harry Potter and linked everything to that. Yeah. And now we're moving. So we're keeping that kind of theme because we were only just starting to really get into it and obviously um the seasons come to an end. So we, we're sticking with that theme, but the hashtag now is going to be, um, she's going to kill me because I can't remember off the top of my head. It's going to be developing that theme. So like, yeah, I, I'm living that experience right now, having worked with Giselle uh, Tales. And I, yeah, it's really helped. And it also helps direct me. So as an assistant coach, really helps direct me in what I'm trying to do with the forwards. And it, it's really valuable. So sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, exactly that so like I think a lot of people use um like so rugby teams that I've been like associated with before will play will um have like a theme around maybe like an an NFL team or a a football team or um you know like a the the one everyone uses in quotes and books is obviously like the rumble in the jungle or something like that so um it might be a story of an aging player as an example uh, an aging boxer comes back has a massive fight wins it you know world champion great but you can relate that to your team so maybe you've got an aging rugby team um you all know you're on your last season so straight away you get that emotional connection with your players because mm. they they see where they are or there's there's some connection that you can create but like the bit I'm really intrigued around is like the language then that comes from it. So if you flip it to a rugby perspective and it's boxing, you know, you can have jab hook, you know, like, and suddenly everything becomes associated to that. So it can evoke like an emotional response. And I think you get a bit more of a buy-in, you know, like say you're in the 22 and you're really struggling and you're on the ropes, for example, or you use that terminology, everyone suddenly knows you've got to come back off. Like, you've got to you've got to find that in a fight and I think yeah. there's so much scope um you know I know uh like the Kiwis for example I know loads of them use like their um like spiritual stories of like mm. uh you know New Zealand of old and, and warriors and um you can put all those things can relate and you can make that a story over the season you can make it a story of a game like one game you can make it a training session you can make it the language that you want to have make calls I just think there's so much untapped around that sort of like mental engagement with players that that I just yeah. think is that 100% got a place in rugby for me and I think yeah that if you flip it to like how we'd even say as coaches like because Claire, Claire Murphy, like, she just had loads of just a really, like, um, great way of telling stories, I suppose, and, and getting you switched in. And, and she, she had this, like, six ways in. She, um, I don't know if it was hers particularly, but she mentioned it. And it was, like, how you start. And it's something that I've been really interested in since. Because imagine how many times you turn up to a team meeting and they all start a bit the same way, don't they? They're, like, they're quite introductory style. Um, if it's, like, analysis, it's very, like, chronological so it's very like at this point this happened at this point this happened and I think if you're a player and you've you know if you've you've gone through like 10 years of the same things those meetings don't relate to you anymore or those those sessions you just get a bit blase to them so I think 
all that stuff around like how you invoke people, how you get them switched on. I just think there's huge gaps in the game of rugby to be like really exploited. I think they're doing it a lot at the top end now. Yeah. I think like we'll see it like probably filter down a bit more into like um regionally and, and clubs probably over the next couple of years. But yeah, I, I absolutely love it. I'm a bit of a sucker for like the whole emotional side of stuff. So but, but but I think, God, there's some real poignant points again, Tails, you've made there. But I think that's, you know, it's it's really powerful getting in touch with you. If you can connect with players' emotions, then you've got them. You've got them on that journey. And like you're saying, those the, the language you use, the power of language relating to that, you know, on the ropes you gave that example, you know, it's really, really powerful. And I, I know LG and I were talking and we were watching, uh, you know, um, The Last Dance, which I don't know if any of you have seen on Netflix, but it's just phenomenal i know lj's going to say a little bit about that i can tell she's kind of waving at me um but um that that was just brilliant and that was a theme that they used you know the last dance for that group of elderly players you know older players like you said they were just going to have one more season so their their terminology was called the last you know that was what they themed it the last dance and everything in their season the preparation just related and referred to that and if you haven't seen it watch it it's absolutely brilliant and go on go on lj i can see you there coming in yeah, um, you're totally right. I do love Last Dance. Not everybody does, but I love it. So, um, yeah, and their coach, Phil Jackson, he, he went on and had success with the Lakers as well. Um, and he, he did exactly that. Um, Net that had themes for his season. Um, I've, I've just finished reading his book. Uh, he very much was big into, uh, or he is, not was, he's into um, Native American culture, finding out their stories. He would use a lot of that that to help him either connect the team or connect with an individual depending on what he was in uh buddhism and mindfulness another thing that he went into because there's a lot of great stories um that come from that that help you link up with scenarios uh, maybe difficult moments in time or you're trying to get a picture across to to players like you you've highlighted tales um i know so again from my own experiences when we when we were really fortunate to start the Gloucester Hartbury team and that was a real um real experience because you're trying to start an elite team bring a load of players together and you've got no culture no history and you've got to try and make them make it and I spent I went away and really dug deep into like what is culture and very much went down the storytelling route because everyone would have thrown out think of the best sports teams Think of the best, like what's their culture? And obviously the All Blacks becomes everyone's straight one. But I try to take them away from rugby and think about cultures and people that have like inspired change or brought people together. And I went down a big journey of that and that taught me a lot about storytelling. Um, and yeah, I love a story. I personally become more, um, like you say, emotionally attached to something. And, and coming into a new club, so going to Wasps, working with new coaches, new players, having to fit straight away was a real big challenge for me. And the fact that we have this whole language that, we've, that we work together on to make our, our game work, and not only a language, we have stories behind it, we have themes. It makes life so much easier. And um, that again it's made that real powerful meaning for me of stories are definitely the way to go 
and I, I know I bore bird, <laughs> bore bird all the time with all the books. I'm like, got to read this book, Bird. There's some great stories in it. You know, I'm onto another book right now, and I'm telling Bird to read it. Um, oh, I've got some here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm with you, Tails, on it, and uh, I think it, it does take a bit of time. So you've probably got to experience things. You've got to find things that you like to read, things that you like to identify with, because not not every story is going to fit for you. Um, but yeah. I could I keep going like on about stories, sorry. Knowing knowing your audience as well, isn't it? So like, um, you know, obviously I was I was lucky to be coached with Giselle and, and it was a similar um, theming around it. And I think if you flip that to what it's like as a player coming into it, you know, you could be a brand new player into an environment and it's quite exciting because it's different. You know, like you could be an, you can be old, you can be experienced player, but new into a team, and yeah, it's it kind of reignites you a little bit. Oh, I've got new stuff to learn. Yes, yeah, it's, it's still it's still a dummy switch pop, right? It's always going to be that. It's now going to be more glamorous or a lead lead trail or whatever. But because it's got a different name, it, it becomes a bit more exciting. You got to relearn it. You um, you have a bit more of an appetite, I guess. To yeah to learn those things so like you know new players coming in which is important like in the community game like that transition from youth to seniors you know if it was if there was that language that everyone understood um but if it was you know a bit tweaked and it was a bit different you'd get that kind of pull i'd like to think that people would want to come up but you know we did one with rgc women and it was the first time rgc women were created um we were bang on about him all the time but he's called Tim Feek he's a sports chaplain from from North Wales he's a brummy who speaks perfect well she puts me to shame um, <laughs> but he is an amazing guy and he's he's like he's up there with the best storytellers in the world and he kind of pulled on like the emotions of us not having anything it was about tiny acorns so you know big oaks become tiny acorns um it was very much about trying to like lay something down for the next generations of rugby players to come through and you know because we were a group of players who'd never had that opportunity in North Wales, he had us in straight away because we, that's what we were all there for. We wanted it to make that the next, something for the next generation to be proud of. Um, mm. he, got a, he got a young girl who was, I think, five or six from, from Real Rugby Club to come and talk to us. And I tell you what, like, the words that she said were probably more powerful than what, you know, you could have got, Warren Catlin up in the room do you know what I mean but because it came from a six-year-old kid saying like I'm really proud of you guys doing this it was like Jesus right now we've got to do it um and then like the whole storyline from that stuck for the whole season and it's it is like it kind of embeds stuff I think a lot easier but you know if I if I got um I think it's important because if I got you know five-year-old kids to stand up in front of the lads from Colwyn Bay they'd probably think I was a bit fluffy and woolly again like, <laughs> like with your mindfulness and stuff and I think You've just got to know your audience and I think if you can get a theme or a story that relates to those players like you're done for the season like it'll write itself after that um, yeah. but yeah I'm with you LJ I could I love it I could talk about it for days another another thing that I did with the juniors so again going down the story theme I would get them to stand up so put them in their out of their comfort zone it's quite a tough thing but they would stand up in front of each other so they'd go away make their own idp so their own individual plan but it would be um i'd give them things to think about but it would be totally what they wanted to put on there and it would be pictures words maybe sayings and it would be a kind of where i've come from 
where I am now and where I want to go. And they would stand up in, in front of each other and tell their story. And the, bit, the powerful thing about that is obviously all of them had a different upbringing. They've all come for one reason because they love rugby. And they've all got an, a different end goal. And, it, and I, I was, it was a real powerful moment for me because when I first went to Hartbury, there was a bit of a reputation of you go to Hartbury, you play for England. And that isn't the case. And I, I knew that. And I knew that I needed to work hard and change in that. And the one thing I remember is I had a player come to me and before they were to do this, and she said, I don't, I don't want to play for England. I said, well, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to play for uh, my long-term goal is to go home and play for my, my club. Perfect. I was like, that is really great. And for you to stand up in front of your teammates, for them to know what you want to do is going to be really powerful for them. And, um, and she did it. And, and every player ever that I worked with at that time for the, over the five years I was there, they all did it and they stood up and presented their little IDP that they'd made themselves. All of them were different. They all told their story. And I personally, I found it really helpful because I obviously got to know them better, but their own teammates started to understand them a little bit better. Um, and that's another way of using stories to help. Because I remember, Bird, we, we had scenarios where players weren't at training. We knew the reasons why, but we can't just stand up in front of the players and tell them. And I think we put it back on them and said, have any of you made contact with those players to see? Because they'd, all, they'd got a story that was going on behind them to find out what's going on in their life. Um, and, and putting it back on the players to say, you make contact with them to find out why they're not here. Because they might have something going on in their life right now that's consuming them. And you don't understand that. But once you hear their story, you will understand. And then how you feel about them will change. And the environment of the team will change. It'll be a really positive environment again. Yeah. wow some powerful stuff there girls you know and I, I can't agree with you more I think I, I love storytelling as well I think it's, it's a brilliant part of coaching and there's, there's a massive place and I think I agree with you Tails I think it's pretty much untapped and um, you know it's a big area to explore there and if any of you guys listening haven't read the book Legacy about um, you know the great um, All Blacks um, that tells them how they stripped everything back and went back to their roots to discover their Maori heritage as well and use a lot of that for their emotional ties and how they how they relate to the game as well it's a really interesting read if you haven't read it um i'd, I'd advise you all to read that as background really good interesting book but um but yeah i mean god lots of interesting stuff here you could talk i'm fighting my way to get in between you to chat as well you guys same good stuff there but i think we've got um one more question to chat around um which is um what would a session look like to ensure learning takes place for players and i know we've kind of chatted on this uh, a little bit we've covered a little bit of this but um go on Algie, you can start this one off what what would a session look like to ensure learning takes place for players um i suppose knowing your players is really helpful because you know where they're at but if i was to walk into a, a scenario so i've got a club i've just joined i've got two hours a week um it might be that i start off with like a game or something like that just to see where we're at and we pinpoint right we're going to be get really good really good at getting into space so we might break down the ability to actually move the ball quick enough then I might make a game around it um where they can sorry if you can hear um then try and make a game around it so they they score points but because we focus on the, the the hard fast pass they get a point for getting the hard fast pass and then maybe they get five points if they score a try because They've put the ball in space. Um, and then each week kind of build on that, that way of learning. So you've got like a very 
definite skill element of breaking something down but then putting it into a uh like a context of chaos which the game is but rewarding maybe the part that you've um you've been focusing on so that might be one yeah one way of doing it tails any anything from you on that no i think um i try and follow quite a similar similar idea really i think uh having a, a like a basic understanding of where your players are and, and where they're at certainly helps from the off like you know if, if you work with them a long time or you get a lot of connection time with them um do a similar thing really a lot a lot of my, my sessions are, are game orientated i suppose or or scenario based so a lot of that mm. is like uh constraints around a different game like the the game won't always look the same. The pitch will be different. The area of the game will be different. The players will be different. All sorts. But um, I like what what I try and normally do is, is see where we're at. So game, bring it out. Identify whatever that intention of that session is to get to. Yeah. Have another look at it in smaller groups, um, and then build it back up. So it's almost like trying to sh- that, that whole like stretch idea of giving them something see if we can build on it, get it back in a game, bring it out and get and, and have that movement. I think what we were chatting about before about like how the sessions are, I think mm. particularly at, at the club I'm at now, like you, you don't want to be standing around. You don't want to waste the time that you have no. because it's so mm. precious. And I think, um, you know, players, like, like I said, the players' feedback was they didn't like sessions that were, were very talky and... Um, they didn't feel like they were getting like a, a good run in so a lot of it now is trying to keep players moving and yes yeah. like um you don't want them like running around like headless chickens at like 10 on the mm-hmm. 10 on the richter scale like it would in a game all the time because they need you need to slow it back down to like a two or a three so they get a bit of learning and then you can ramp it back up again and yeah you know i quite like that idea of sometimes pushing them so far that you, you get quite a lot of failure but it's like that's great because that's just more opportunities to learn from and mm. I think that whole session of being quite I don't know quite high energy but also like pushing players you, you give them an opportunity to learn during the session um yeah. I suppose everyone's quite guilty of just wanting to sit and down and go through that learn like almost like textbook but ultimately like if you're not doing it in a in a game yeah. or a you know. And I, I think I think that's really important. You got you know those constraints you make, like you know changing the size of the pitch, giving them different scenarios. You know how how would you cope here? Adding more players or less players? You know adding more defence, increasing the attack. You know all those scenarios where they're actually having to think on their feet and that you know it's changing all the time is is you know really really helps to to ensure that they actually learn. Um, and, and I know we, we talked about this the other day on that pod we were on, but it's how, you know, with younger players as well, sometimes when you've done those things, you, you, you need to check that they've actually got that learning. So it's question and answering, obviously, but also a really good one. We used to use this in school as well was, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down, but get the, get the younger players to close their eyes so they can't actually see what everybody else is doing because it's quite easy for the younger players well some of the older players as well to to kind of just go along with what the majority is but closing their eyes that one does really work just to check that they've understood what points you've been making um but yeah anything you want to add out on that Um, Patrick, sorry it's because he's shouting i don't want to keep um no well again agreement with your, your points i like the idea of when you're working with those younger players, shut, shut their eyes, give them a thumbs up. Yeah. Um, also, to 
change your positioning a lot maybe don't always be stood up talking to them sit down to try and keep them engagement with you so like you said tails you want to keep a high energy session but you may have to do moments of in out um so change what you're doing so that that keeps them engaged on you um obviously if you're doing a lot of kind of game stuff so you're playing games and um putting constraints on it to get out get what you want out of it don't be afraid afraid when you see something great or they've missed something like stop it um get them to look at it and then you can go back you don't have to bring them in you know stop the game have you noticed this what can you see what are you seeing what are you telling her or him can they did you hear him and then okay brilliant go again carry on um all those kind of questions literally like less than 30 seconds and then while they're playing they're thinking oh god yeah i can hear him now i didn't hear him a minute a minute ago um so i think that's all those ideas are great ideas to help yeah, use your I, time wisely. And I also think as well, if you've got like a team of coaches, I mean, we're lucky because we coach with, you know, there's two or three of us. I don't, I, I don't know tales how many, I'm, I'm presuming you coach the same with two or three assistants. Um, but, you know, it's great to have those coaches as well with a focus of just pulling players out when they need to, giving them little key points, you know, chucking them back in so you can have that interaction with them as well whilst the session is going on. So like you said, Al, you don't always have to stop everything. You know, it can still be carrying on while you're having those individual chats. That kind of helps as well. Um, some of the stuff, like I found like really interesting working, like you were saying, Bird, when you've got loads of, so like in um age grade and stuff obviously you get loads of coaches that want to volunteer and, and be part of it and it's amazing and, and I think sometimes especially like lead coaches or head coaches are quite guilty of not using those people around them um like there's there's three of us at Colwyn Bay and we, we try and make the sessions as like you were saying high energy etc but I think where there's real scope that I've learned from the age grade game is is sometimes having you know if you've got a, a fly half that maybe isn't seeing something in, in training and you want to, you want them to be able to, to see it, having maybe like an, an injured player who also plays in that position yeah. or an older player. So maybe like the next age group up to like almost like sit with them and like buddy yeah. them up because like they're just some of the stuff that like, I've like, you know, not, I've not been a part of, I've like mm. set it up and then stood back from it, but like their learnings and their understandings that they see between them mm. when like you were saying LJ when you get to that space where people know how to talk to each other and share that mm. like oh my god like that for learning is just like next level so I think like if you are if you're coaching and you're on your Todd or whatever like don't be afraid to use another player to like yeah you know like so, like sometimes like learning that they can do from being out of that environment like, I, think, I think like we're all guilty of saying oh when they got half an hour like they've all got to do it for half an hour like if they stepped out of that for two minutes and, and saw something like it might have more impact from them running around like a headless chicken for the other 28. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's I think we, we probably underutilize teams or, or the strengths of like skills within the team sometimes. But doing that approach as well will help with, um, so like you alluded to earlier about pre-season, everyone wants to get a bit more of a fitness element in, but if you structure your sessions like that, so you've got someone running like a game and then another maybe it's an injured player or even the players on their own you set up something that they can run on their own there's no problem with that I used to do that with my juniors when I was on my own I'd have something going that I would run and then something like a skill element so when they they then would be in small groups or you know like 10 10 aside or whatever you've got or less five aside brilliant you can only work so hard for so long you know your capacity is your capacity you know you can't 
you can't like uh, what's the word cheat it so if you know you're going to work for three minutes then out into that skill for three minutes there's six minutes in total like that's a really good way of getting that conditioning uh, element into them and it also really looks like the game and feels like the game as a player too so that could be that's a really easy tool to use if you haven't got many people at your club Awesome. Great. Again, great suggestions there for some real nuggets there for coaches to take away. Yeah. Oh, well, well done, guys. It's been really enjoyable. Um, lots to talk about. I mean, sure, we could talk for ages more. But LJ's got a quick fire questions for us now, Tails, to finish off. So um, <laughs> get yourself yeah, ready. Nervous about <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you basically just got to shout out. As soon as I give you your options, just shout it out. Okay, both of you. Bird as well. Okay. Ready? Diet or full fat Coke? Full fat Coke. Full fat. <laughs> oh, oh, girls, nice. Uh, starter or pudding? Pudding. <laughs> yes. Full fat Coke and pudding. Love it. Okay. Scones or Welsh cakes? What? Scones or, scones or Welsh cakes? Scones? What are scones? Scone. 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 Depends where you're from, but... That's, oh, that's well, how I can get my um, best joke in ever. Fastest cake in the world. Scone. <laughs> <laughs> from where I'm from, I say scone. But yeah, scone, scone, same thing, you know. Or Welsh cake. Welsh cake, 100%. I'd say a scone because I get to put cream and jam on it. But <gasps> if it's got anything yeah. to do with Eleanor Snozel's mum cooking it, then it's a Welsh cake every day. Wow. You know, I never tried a Welsh cake until I met Bird, and then I've had well, Bird used to buy M&S. Oh. Welsh cake. M&S. Yeah, M&S, really. Other, other Welsh cakes are available. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> El Snozel's mum, i got to back her up on that tales. God, I'll get El Snozel to make you one. Oh, right. chocolate, I will. Chocolate orange Welsh cake is something wow. else. Oh, yeah. I love cinnamon ones as well. Get it. Oh, lush. Um, cheese sandwich or cheese toasty? Mm. And last one, romantic comedy or horror? Oh, comedy. I was going to say, yeah, yeah probably like rom- five years ago I'd have said horror, but with my age now, I'm going to go rom com all the way. Shame. Excellent. that, Tails. Love it. That's brilliant. Oh, great work, LJ. Oh, thank guys. It's been a, an absolute pleasure. Tails, it's been so great to have your insight and have you on. Um, you know, you, really you've been really looking forward to your, what your coaching journey is going to have for you in the future. And LJ, as always, it's a pleasure. Um, so we'll catch up now in a bit. Um, so, guys, if you want to hear more, just visit rugbycoachweekly.net. Click on the podcast button to visit the women's section. And thank you all for listening. Um, if you do have any questions, please forward them. And stay safe, stay safe, everybody, and look after yourselves and look forward to catching up with you for our next podcast. Take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.